everybody who listens to Future Primitive. Today, I have the honor and the pleasure of being on the phone with Jean Shinoda Bolen, MD. She is a psychiatrist, a union analyst, and an internationally known author and speaker who draws from spiritual, feminist, union, medical, and personal wellsprings of experience. Her previous books include The Tower of Psychology, Goddesses in Every Woman, God in Every Man, Ring of Power, Crossing to Avalon, Close to the Bone, The Millionth Circle, Goddesses in Older Women, Crones Don't Whine, and Urgent Message from Mother. Today I'm holding in my hands um, her book, her most recent book, like a tree, which she so kindly gave me at the Bioneers Conference in Marin. So I wanted to ask Eugene to start, what is a tree person and not a tree person? Well, I think of tree people as being part of a large tribe of folks that have a sense of connectedness with nature and with uh, the indigenous wisdom that says that there's a great mystery, really, to which we are all part, and and that we don't have dominion over everything, and we are not somehow separate from the world in which we live. Now, that's a very broad description of tree people, when what it came right down to was uh, people who have a sense of a tree being an object, that's a not-tree person. A not-tree person looks at a tree, and it is a thing. A tree person appreciates a tree as a living individual, a unique form of life. And often a tree person looks at trees and sees it as a particular tree is beautiful, or a particular tree is friendly, or a particular tree is a a, a refuge for, for many. Mostly tree people have had experiences often in childhood where they climb trees and mused about whatever one as a child muses about while sitting in you know, the arms of a tree or up in the tree or under a tree. So mostly what i found is that in writing like a tree, that often as people read what I was describing, they were remembering their own special trees when they were kids. And so I hear stories from people about how uh, I reminded them through my words of a tree in their backyard or one that, that was down the way in the woods or something. And then I've also been sent poems about how it feels when a tree is, is no longer, when it's been cut down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and people who've returned to places and found it's gone. You know, it's gone. And um, that's the individual tree person relating to a tree as, as something that... that was part of that person's world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there are the, the feeling experiences, like going to see a 
clear-cut areas and, and feeling it in your heart that this is not all right. Um, so a tree person has feelings, obviously, mm-hmm. as I'm describing tree people. Um, I had I had gotten a sense of the, the difference between tree people and not tree people and got into this whole writing uh, separately from all the other things I've written. I mean, I write from mythology and from a lot of different perspectives that have to do mostly with people, not with trees. Mm-hmm. And then I had in my front yard a gorgeous, huge Monterey pine tree that I saw before I even saw the house. I've lived in this house since 1992. It's on the hillside in Marin. I think of Marin County in Northern California as being a place where people love trees. And there are trees in around. Yes. And so when I was first looking at houses, I saw this tree in front of the house, and it, it drew me before I walked under it and, and by it into the house itself. So I thought of the tree as being part of my front yard and part of my personal property, though legally it wasn't. Legally, this house is on a hillside with a number of houses that are part of what's called a plan urban development, and it means that we own the property on which our house sits, but most of the property around us is commons or owned in commons by the Homeowners Association. So that tree that was actually in what anybody else would have called my front yard was a part of commons, and therefore, if a neighbor wanted the tree down because of a view or because of any number of reasons, that could be presented to the Homeowners Association, and a case could be made, as this one was, that because it's on commons and because someone had an intention to take it down or wanting it down, it was made into a fire hazard and an insurance hazard if it should mm-hmm. fall down on my house or on someone walking to my house or something like that. And I initially felt like, really, I mean, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't initially take it seriously, and then I took it very seriously, and I made every effort short of tying myself to the tree or having a demonstration to save that tree. Now, I didn't save it. I, I delayed its execution, as I would put it, for uh, a year, um, and then it was scheduled to be cut down when I was going to be away, and I was away at the United Nations for the Commission on the Status of Women. Mm-hmm. And there I told uh, Gloria Steinem about my saga of the tree, and she said, you know, Jean, remember you're a writer, and writers can have the last word. And so I thought about that, and and um, interestingly, the book turned out to be not an angry book at all. Because over the over the time that I thought about the book, uh, or, or thought about what would go into the book, though the initial reason for it was the loss of the tree, my thoughts went to how the vote went and what what that meant, and I found that. There were people for whom, of course, you'd side with keeping the tree. And 
And then there were people for whom it was just an object. It was uh, something that could be removed, like a piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. And then there were the people in the middle who just got tired of the, of the you know, sort of uh, demonstration fatigue is going on in, in lots of places when people demonstrate for things. And this was not demonstrated, but we had a number of homeowners emails and meetings and things about it. And so there are people in the middle that just get it over with, you know. Just cut down the tree, it's done. So I lost I lost the tree. I lost the, uh, as an activist, I kind of was a failure then. Um, but I do go, I do go with the notion uh, that Alice Walker, this phrase that anything we love can be saved. I remain an optimist, even though I haven't, one every activist thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, long story for getting around to what is a tree person. A tree person is somebody who who looks at nature and has a sense of I-thou with nature and not I-it have dominion over. It's, it's like people in places where girls and women are objectified and used and sold and trafficked. I mean, that's what I also connected with when I went to the Commission on the Status of Women mm-hmm. and realized that wherever in the world what we relate to is viewed as ob- objects that are owned and you can do with it whatever you please practically, how that damages everything, including the people that, that do the damaging. I, I I read that in your book, and I uh, thought that was very beautiful, including the people who do the damaging. And your book is indeed very useful because I wanted to share with you that I remembered that the first time I took LSD, I was 24 years old, and um, I had what uh, one might call a bad trip. And today I understand that what a bad trip meant is that I felt separated from everything and everyone. And uh, later I learned uh, with good reason. But sometime in the night I approached the window and I saw this beautiful, beautiful fir tree and I was restored to peace. I was restored to unity, and it changed me forever. Well, so you really also saw the tree with the influence of LSD that could enhance the deepness of the experience in a positive way as well as the negative one that just preceded it. Exactly, exactly. I want to ask you uh, to elaborate a little more on what you said before, which is, um, I know that uh, some very sincere people who have uh, fought for the trees in um, Northern California have been very, very hurt by the fact that those trees, some of those trees got cut down and Julia Butterfly Hill's uh, tree, Luna, I think, got cut down. Can you speak to the heart of the activist that has been wounded in that way and tell them about your optimism? Well, as far as I know, uh, Luna is not 
uh, Luna was was saved in the agreement. Um, one thing about Julia Butterfly Hill, like many activists, is you start out not knowing that one step would lead to another, one day would lead to another. For her, she came to California and joined friends who were demonstrating in Northern California uh, because these ancient old-growth redwood groves were going to be clear-cut by new owners who, now that they owned the, the land under these trees, figured they could do anything they wanted with them, including the fact that, so they're a thousand years old, so what? It's so much bored feet of redwood, and redwood is a, a redwood lumber is a, a good product to sell. So the, the people who have an affinity for trees and for history and for nature and, and you know, appalled at, that you could take something that was alive for over a thousand years and just chop it down and, so the, the, the demonstrators demonstrated, and they were, um, you know, they met the force of, of the lumber industry and loggers. Uh, and in order to save some of the trees initially, the demonstrators climbed up in them, feeling that they wouldn't cut down a tree with a human being in it. Mm-hmm. And Julia went up to be part of that. Well, one day led to another, to another, until she was up there something like 758 days, almost two, a little over two years, up in this one tree, and she became a major symbol for the whole effort to save these trees. And she did manage to get, they managed, the demonstrators, uh, they worked not only on demonstration, but you always have to be able to work politically and with with uh, with others who can influence people who can make a difference. And so, senators, uh, fin- Senator Feinstein uh, got our senator in California got involved in in brokering or or bringing about an agreement that saved some of the trees. And uh, Julia would not come down from that tree until she had promises that Luna, as she named her tree, would be spared and a certain level of, of trees around, a certain number of trees or areas around that tree would also be spared because trees actually are part of a community. They're ripped underneath and they're, they're you know, one tree often has difficulty when it's been part of a forest. So she managed to get that before she came down. And then sometime later, uh, people um, damaged the tree. They, they, yeah. they as I recall, they, they put big iron pieces or something into the tree, or, or they tried to poison it or something. They mm-hmm. did try to do in the tree. And as far as I know, the tree still stands. Um, but that says something about the the energy and the negativity and the struggle to 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 do what well to be in in that kind of a struggle where where you fight to save trees and other people, even when they lose the political part and can that trees can live, would actually try to get even by damaging that particular tree. I mean, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it, it, I'm going to jump to this. Um, I don't think I answered your question. I think I did. I sort of thought. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, yeah. You, you, you went, went into Julia Butterfly Hill's struggle. Um, so. Yeah, I was asking you about your optimism and what you can communicate to people who uh, have tried to save trees and uh, the desperation that they feel, activists actually, and then I'll jump around in my mind like um, the uh, Occupy Wall Street that yesterday have been uh, thrown out from the park and what do you say to um, to activists so that we can continue uh, towards the millionth circle. Well, it's about persevering and doing something that has meaning to you. I mean, I, I have, going back to the women's movement in the 70s and, and recollecting that some women just seem to get burnt out as as activists, and others, uh, specifically Gloria Steinem, who I did get to, to know through being, through asking for help uh, when I picketed the American Psychiatric, when I led a, 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 a uh, an act, when my early activism was um, um, the American Psychiatric Association that that was to actually demonstrate when they came to for their annual conference in San Francisco in 19, I think it was 79 or 1980. And and so I asked Gloria Steinem, who I did not know personally, I, I wrote her about the issue, which was uh, to the position uh, that the, the American Psychiatric Association was taking to not support the Equal Rights Amendment. And she came out and helped and was like a big sister to the budding activists that we were as psychiatrists. And in that, it led to me being part of the Ms. Foundation board. And I, I did see during that period how many women in their anger got burnt out and discouraged and and she didn't. And so I asked her once about what kept her going. You know, she she was on the front lines, and and she said, you know, she takes every time she goes out into the world. Often she speaks to hostile audiences, corporate boards, and other people that 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 uh, don't get what it is that she's trying to do. And it at that point she was trying to save uh, each time Ms. Magazine, which threatened to go under because mm-hmm. the, the advertisers would withdraw advertising from them if they persevered in actually doing what the, the magazine stood for. So she said, actually at that point, I kind of assumed that she must have a spiritual base. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what I ended up finding out about what supported her, and it, and it makes me realize that to bring more of a bigger view of what spiritual connections are. Um, She said that every time she went out, she may be talking to people that did not have her point of view at all and opposed it, but she was part of the Ms. Magazine uh, vision and staff. And so 
everybody was working towards the same thing. Other people were working in the editorial side or the production side. She was the face of Ms. Magazine. She went out and spoke for it, but she always came back and knew, in a sense, the expression wasn't what we have now. We have the expression now, uh, they have our back, or she has our back. Mm -hmm. And that's really the backing, the support, the knowledge that you may be going out into the world as an activist to a world that doesn't get it and get you. But if you have a home base, a home circle, a vision that says what you are doing is meaningful to you, to us, to the bigger picture, then you get in the face of loss, you still have a sense of this is my personal assignment, I call it. This is what I have taken on because it's meaningful to me. And I have people who get me, get the, the vision that because we share it. And this is the activism that comes, as I described in the main circle, the circle with the spiritual center where you tap into not just the support of other people who care about the same cause and care about you, but you tap into the archetypal field or the morphic field that supports you energetically as you do whatever it is you're called to do. I read in uh, Isabel Allende's book that um, you met in a circle with her and other women. Do you still do that? Yes, that was a circle that has probably will last the rest of my life and all of ours. You know, a circle of women who choose to be together and have been with each other through the things that happen to us in life. Mm -hmm. Our particular circle, there have been the deaths of two of our adult children. There have been the beginnings of relationships, the ends of relationships. There has been one of us was uh, hit head-on in an automobile accident in the Golden Gate Bridge mm -hmm. and, and was in coma for months and has recovered, but not totally, over the past couple of years. The, the sharing of one's story, uh, the living of one's narrative that has a deeper meaning, when it is supported and held in circle, is a nurturing space, a supportive space. And we call our, our circle a prayer circle because we do go into a silent meditation time where we tap into our spiritual resources whatever it may be, pray in whatever we, way we may pray or visualize. And that's a model that works really well. It's also very Jungian in the sense that it is, I can explain it archetypally, I can, I can see that it's the image of the mandala, which is a Tibetan uh, image for the sacred, and it is, is also what Carl Jung described as a geometric, the geometry of the archetype of the self, which is the archetype of meaning in its broadest sense. But we usually call it divinity or spirit or higher power mm -hmm. or god-goddess. And whenever we, with our, our observing ego kind of energy, open to the greater archetypal energies of the self, we get energized. 
and, and so when you meet in a circle where you can be real and 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 authentic and share in silence at some point mm-hmm. a connection with something greater, it's truly supportive. And that is the basis, I think, for a kind of activism that renews you even if you lose this particular battle or that particular cause or that tree or whatever you lose, you also win, you also know you keep on keeping on. I mean, I have been, my current, well, even all through this, I have been this advocate for a fifth United Nations NGO Women uh, World Conference on Women, or 5WCW. Yes. I first had the sense of how this could be a tipping point to bring balance into the world, be one of the one of the major kinds of big steps forward towards an end of patriarchy back in 2002. And I didn't, then I started getting much more active in it um, at about 2000, and well, I've been doing this for, well, since 2002, but, and it, it is a little... <laughs> It, it does take it, it does take believing that this will make a difference. It does take persevering, and and I I have this wonderful story that that has helping me with it at, at the current time. It isn't the hundred monkey million circle, which you know hundred hundred monkey story is what what made the the um, anti nuclear proliferation people keep on keeping on with their storefront demonstrations and their efforts to stop the the super race, the, the nuclear race between the superpowers when everybody said this is absurd that citizens think they could they could make a difference. Yeah. And people told themselves the story that kept them keeping on, which was the story of the hundredth monkey. And it it in principle says that when there gets to be a critical number, a critical mass, and the story was about monkeys, the species changes their behavior or their attitude or their perception when a critical number of that species adopts this new thing. And so if you were making an effort to change the world and you have no idea whether you are the 14th monkey or the 30th monkey or the... 79th monkey, but you know on the way to the critical mass, it makes a difference what you are doing, even if it doesn't show at all to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that led me to, to, to see how Women's Circles with the Spiritual Center is the unit that could truly end patriarchy by bringing balance of the feminine principle uh, to human society. And increasingly, it becomes more and more obvious that we women have in our hormonal, in our brain structure, in our natural way of being, ways in which we could contribute to making possible sustainability on this planet if we could hold intention, the hierarchical kind of left brain uh, masculine testosterone adrenaline reactions to, to stress. Jean, let's uh, let's go back to the um, project for the fifth sponsored women's conference by the UN. 
speak about your journey with that and where it is now and how the women who are listening to this program can contribute. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you for asking, because I, I do think this is one, uh, I call it heart-connected activism. I'm, I'm encouraging women to respond. It's an invitation to step up, especially if you are one to two degrees of separation from someone who could actually help get a support for this from your country or your organization. And um, so there's lots, first of all, there's a website, uh, 5wcw.org, that is really a marvelous resource of information. That's a primary reason for its existence, is it really says what you might want to know about why at this Women's World Conference and what the issues are and what you can do. It includes a petition that you can you can also go from my website to the petition. There are now 12,600-plus who've signed it, and it's the first step. The first step often to becoming an activist, and this I use Julia Butterfly Hill as one example, is that you, you start off maybe just signing a petition, and maybe the next step is that you speak up at the next organizational meeting that you belong to, and then you can go on the website and add your organization to it so that we're moving toward critical mass and proving that there is a grassroots support for this, which helps me a lot when I'm at the U.N. to say that there is grassroots support for this. And then it is the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations in the world, that most of which over the last decade have been formed by women, often in undeveloped or third-world uh, or developing countries, where a woman understands the need to take action for something, and she forms a nonprofit uh, or something like that. And we support one another to move in that direction. So right now, there is the upcoming Commission on the Status of Women meetings in at the UN at the end of February, beginning of March. Mm-hmm. And the NGOs go and have parallel events, and that's where you really learn what is going on in the world. And that's where uh, the support of the NGOs is one major energy to help a Fifth Women's World Conference to happen. The other is, is the actual UN. And the United Nations General Assembly that meets uh, the 66th session began in September and will last like a semester, like an academic year. It, it ends in June. And it is during this year that I have high hopes that the potential of a country that we're working on might, the ambassador to the UN, with the support of his or her country, would sponsor the resolution that says that the United Nations wants to sponsor a fifth World Conference on Women. As soon as the first one steps up, getting others to sign on as co-sponsors is much easier, and then we start to move it towards it actually happening in 2015. In the interim, say it it passes at the beginning of this year, next year, 2012, 
then the three years that it takes to, to put it in motion is one in which we really are able to get the word out. It becomes like an Olympics for NGOs, especially, see, it, one of the reasons why I think it's so important is that the last one was in 2000, was in, uh, it was in 1995 in Beijing, and 40 to 50,000 women from all over the world attended, and it made a difference in them. They became the leaders of their NGOs and often became leaders in their own countries so that the, uh, the, the women, the first woman in Africa to win a Nobel Peace Prize, Wadgari Mathai, for example, was initiated into her role as a leader, really, through these conferences on women. Wow. And so, Beijing, 1995, this is before Internet, before smartphones. Imagine now, imagine 2015, a world conference on women held somewhere in the world with, all, with, with easily 50 to 100,000 women, perhaps, or more, but the major thing also that it could be satellite connected with any country where there were women that wanted to organize their own conference. Yep. And they could they could they could be in touch with what was going on at the major one, and then they could bring up their own issues in their own in their own locales, really. And so we have satellite possibilities. If you sent a a delegate from your NGO in some country, if we got scholarship money essentially to help that woman to go, and she came with her her uh, smartphone or something, um, it and we set things up so there could be communications back. The linkage of what's going on in the world to women and for women. See, I would hope that the effect would be like. Uh, one of the effects on me. When I went to the UN in 2002, I was, I, and since then, hearing what women have to say about what they're doing and why they're doing it and what's going on, I had this mixture of being appalled and inspired. Those two feelings, I mean, it's just appalling what's done with children and women and girls. Mm-hmm. And yet it's inspiring what happens in certain places when someone who has been trafficked, for example, forms an NGO to save other girls from that and and then shows up in New York as the modeling what can be done. Um, The one person can make a difference when you've got a circle of support is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing this not as an end in itself, but as a major force to bring women's talents and women's struggles to the forefront and that the idea of critical mass uh, happens and women get empowered. I, I mean, I saw it with the women's movement. I, that model just... There's so many things that women do now that was unthinkable in 1970. That's right. That's right. So, Jean, um, in other words, people can go to your website, which will lead them to the fifth uh, W. Yes, they would. If they went to my, my homepage, uh, yeah. com. They would, they would, first of all, get 
a little bit of what I had to say about assignment, that, that this is my assignment, and your assignment would fulfill the same three criteria. It would be meaningful to you to do it. It would be fun in that you would be doing whatever your cause is with others who have the same values you do, have the same kind of visionary quality of activism that you do, and uses your talents. Because it's fun when you can be used for good. So I'm saying, one, it's meaningful, two, it's fun, and three, it's motivated by love. And if it's motivated by love, love is the only energy that the more the more you give away, the more yeah. there is in the world and the more you have yourself. I mean, everything else is zero sum except this kind of energies of love. So when you're an activist who are motivated by love, you don't get burnt out. You have that circle of support where where you get nurtured. I mean, we need to get nurtured in order to be activists. That's right. That's right. And and so if it fits this, it's an invitation. You know, is it meaningful? Will it be fun? Will it be motivated by love? And I'm I'm suggesting activism occurs at every single level. It often is in your own home when you speak when you decide what's right, what's not right, and you you figure out a way to make and bring about change or try to, to the world, you know, to having a cause that affects the world. Jean, uh, this morning I was reviewing pictures uh, I've taken of um, trunks of trees, stumps of (laughs) trees that have been cut off, and... While we were talking, the thought came to me that perhaps the idea of making mandalas might have come from gazing at tree trunks that have been cut down. Oh, that you're so right. That is an image of a mandala. It is. And maybe Hildegard... The tree itself is a symbol of the self, too. I mean, it, a tree is like... I mean, it, it, it links heaven and earth. It it stands like the like a priest shaman does linking heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. It it the leaves draw uh, through photosynthesis. It it draws sunlight and transforms it into sugars to feed the tree, and in the process also takes in carbon dioxide and breathes out or 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 transfers the the carbon dioxide into oxygen, which, which, which we, the rest of us can breathe. So the, the, the tree as a symbol occurs in people's dreams over and over again. And in, in major religions, there's the tree as symbol of the, of the large S-self, or the symbol of meaning, or the symbol of life, the tree of life, um, the, Bodhisattva, the, the Bodhi tree. I mean, uh, just, mm-hmm. trees are sacred images. And so they do stand in Jung psychology and in, as well as a symbol of the largest self. And then if you cut it in cross-section, you have the mandala, which is a ge- geometry of the self. So, yeah, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because at uh, the same time as I saw the, the mandala in the tree trunk, I... Uh, I also saw some of the uh, paintings by Hildegard the Bingen, oh, which yes. reminded me both of the tree stump 
and the mandala, of course. I know she's a favorite of yours. Oh, yes, she is. Uh, what an amazing woman Hildegard was in the late um, in the 11th century to to be able to... And she could, she could do it because she was in a community of women. At that time, only the community of women women could have supported her to be all the things that she became. I mean, she was an artist, she was a physician, she was a, uh, a theologist, uh, she was the abbess. She was, mm-hmm. she was an amazing woman who was truly empowered to voice and express what she knew. And there's a knowledge that needs to be brought into the world and brought into each of our conversations when, when we understand that the things we know, I say in our bones, when it's, it's a sort of a, a, a body-soul self-knowledge that says, uh, this I know to be true mm-hmm. about something of value, something of meaning. Um, and it isn't knowledge that you, have to, you can prove to somebody else. Uh, it, it is something... I, I wrote another book called Close to the Bone, Life-Threatening Illness as a Soul Journey, because women and men, but women especially, are the ones that I got in touch with who, on getting a, a cancer diagnosis, turned their lives around because of the, of the sense that, that their life was on the line. Mm-hmm. And will they trust their own sense that this is a good doctor for me versus, for example, I don't think so, or, or the, the person who, who realizes that she's giving her energies away when she needs it for her own healing. The kinds of things that you know matter uh, to you and the choices you make. Tap into the gnosis, I mean, the, the uh, Greeks had two words for knowledge, logos, which is intellectual knowledge, and gnosis, spelled with a G, so I think of it as what you can know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gnosis that, that is intuitive feeling and often embodied awareness. It's, it's what you perceive and trust that you are perceiving this as real for you, this feeling, this connection. Um, I sort of got off on some subject again, I do believe. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's wonderful. It's a spiral, it's a spiraling conversation, which actually is coming to, to particularly this, this ring on the spiral. And so I want to tell you that I'm immensely grateful for you being with us. And also I want to ask you, Jean Shinoda Bolen, dear Jean, what would you like to say in closing to our friends who are listening? That, that's the hardest question you've asked all along. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, my work has to do with helping people define meaning in their lives. And the the source of that is always from within. And the I through my work at every level it's it's to help people 
tune into their own sources of knowledge, their dreams, their synchronicities, their their heart feelings, uh, because authenticity and when you respond to life authentically and you take one step at a time based on what matters and what feels right to you, you end up with a life that could be called your personal myth because it is connected to the archetypal level of, of, of us. Um, I think life is an adventure. I mean, that's one thing maybe I should leave your listeners to. Life is truly an adventure, and we have this great work, this magnus opus, which is our life, and what we do with it while we are here makes all the difference to why we are here. And I do think that this is a soul journey, and that this particular time in history that individuals can make a difference in shifting history at a time when we could be one of those on the way to the hundredth monkey or the tipping point or not. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making a tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.